Hi, this is Mona, and this is Aaliyah. You are listening to A Devil's Tale. Today we're diving into the case of Javed Iqbal, the boy hunter of Shadbag. This is a particularly gut-wrenching story. Like many of the serial offenders we've covered before, Javed's ideal victims were from extremely vulnerable and marginalized groups. As a content warning, this episode will have descriptions of violence, sexual assault, pedophilia, and hepophilia. There are a few different accounts on the specifics of what happened, but what's clear is that in 1999, Javed confessed to killing exactly 100 boys between the ages of 6 to 16 years old. 100? Yes, 100 boys. That number is astronomical. I think it's one of the highest of any serial killers out there. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and to make it even more unbelievable, he did that in the span of six months. So if you stop to think about it, he's killing a child every other day in those six months. I had a lot of trouble wrapping my head around how that is even logistically possible. Before I started researching Javed, I was full-on expecting to read about deeply-rooted childhood trauma. But as I started reading and researching, he's surprisingly described as being very pampered and having an abundant lifestyle. He's born in 1956 to a well-off trader and is one out of six children. He grew up in Lahore and even went to college there. For reference, Lahore is the second biggest city in Pakistan. So it's a pretty vibrant place with a lot going on. There's not too many details revealed about his childhood and what he was like. However, I kept seeing this phrase repeated that he developed bad habits at a young age. Later on, an inspector referenced it in a quote in the New York Times, how his family became estranged from him due to his bad habits. I wonder if it's drugs. Well, I tried to decipher exactly what these bad habits were, and they never explicitly state it, but it seems that it's referencing that Javed had an attraction to boys. But this is when he's young. When you're a young child, having an attraction to another child... That's normal. It's normal, yeah. Right. It's unclear to me, though, if at this stage in his life, these bad habits were anything beyond just the initial attraction. As he progresses, though, into his teen years, we start seeing troubling behavior manifesting. Reportedly, Javed owned a 200cc motorbike, and he used that to befriend younger boys. So this is when he's a teenager. He also targeted children's magazines to find pen pals. Apparently, back then, there were columns in magazines where you could find pen pals to write to. Javed would essentially go through these columns and write to all the boys, eventually asking for pictures of them. So after he gets these pictures of the boys, he'd then focus on all the ones he found attractive and try to create bonds with them by spending thousands of rupees buying them gifts, things like perfume, coins, tickets. To me, this looks like the starting point of him developing a method to lure and then groom children. In 1978, at around 22, Javed started his own business in a villa his father bought for him. And it seems the young boys he groomed began living there as well. But his family took notice and tried to intervene. He responded very explosively to this, and it really created a wedge between him and his family. In 1983, 
He finally gets married, but it's to a woman of his choosing. It's not an arranged marriage like his family was pushing. And she's the older sister of one of the young boys he's grooming. I just had a thought. Maybe the bad habits they're referencing to is actually him being attracted to same sex. Back then, obviously, homophobic. So they thought it's bad habits. That's what I was kind of thinking. I just didn't know, was that the extent of the bad habits? Well, but I mean, if he was a child, what else can he do? Yeah. That marriage, um, unsurprisingly, ends after only a few months. There's no actual confirmed criminal activity during his teens and early 20s, though. It's not until 1985 that his earliest record of abuse takes place. That's seven years after he starts that business. He'd be 29 at that point. Local newspapers reported that he was found sodomizing young boys. I'm sure I'm not the only one who's concluding that this was likely going on the entire time he was running that business. But what blows my mind is that he's not even arrested after they find him sodomizing those young boys. Instead, they force him to go door to door confessing to the crime. Sort of like a registered sex offender style, I guess. Yes, exactly. Also sounds like he's from a rich family. Maybe that's why. Maybe daddy paid off somebody so he didn't have to go to jail. His dad was well off, and so he's well off, and he does get inheritance too. So eventually, he does get arrested for child molestation, but nothing ever sticks, nothing happens. He's able to evade jail by avoiding court or buying his way out of it. The most that ever happened was he got six months in jail, which is nothing. He's sodomizing boys left and right. I feel like laws, even in the States, protecting children really came quite late. In the 90s, that's when they took it very seriously. That's the starting point. I think even the knowledge of what grooming is and how it works came into law a lot later. I really think, though, having no consequences to any of this emboldened him. He starts creating these shell businesses to attract more young boys. He creates a video game shop and charges discounted rates or even doesn't charge them at all. He even creates this disgusting manipulative scheme where he'll leave money out on the floor in the video game shop. And after they pick it up, he'll corner them and say, you stole that from me. I need to punish you. You have to come in this back room with me. And then he rapes them. And he cycles through these businesses because parents eventually start figuring out what's going on and they stop letting their children go to these businesses. But he just cycles through them. So after the video game store, he opens an aquarium. And then after that, he opens a gym. And then after that, a dollar store type of thing. And then after that, a school. A school? A school. He creates a school. No one goes to the school, though, but he creates it. That is so weird because don't you need to get a lot of credentials and permits? You would think. I don't know. I'll have to look more into that, but he he does create this school. Eventually, all these businesses fail because the word's out. He's a rapist. And here's where things really take a turn. We're in the late 90s now. Javed is known in town as a serial rapist. His businesses are failing as a consequence. I think this prompts him to move to a different area. He moves to Ghaziabad and opens up a new video game store. What happens though is in September 1998, one of his employees robs him and severely beats him up, cracking his skull and breaking his jaw. He's hospitalized. He's in a coma for almost a month. 
he doesn't have a good relationship with any of his relatives. They refuse to pay any of the hospital bills. So they liquidize all of his assets, his house. He has four cars at this point as well. They liquidize that to pay for all of these hospital bills. When he finally gains consciousness again and recovers, he goes to the police and they ignore him. They don't want to help him at all. That prompts him to write this reaction to his experience. So this is a quote from Javade. Then I prayed that if I left the world, I would leave it with dozens of others. My prayer was accepted by God and friends became angels for me. And then a blood curdling drama began. Now 100 mothers will die mourning the deaths of their children. Shortly after this incident, he starts his six-month killing spree. He goes back to Lahore at this point and rents a three-bedroom apartment in a rundown area and recruits three slightly older boys. These boys helped him lure young runaways to Javed's apartment by promising them food and a place to sleep. One of the last boys they lured was named Ijaz. It was in November 1999, and he was the 97th of those murdered. Ijaz was in his early teens and worked with his younger brother Riaz, and they offered massages for 20 rupees. Javad offered double their going rate to go back to his place. Riaz later told the police, I left Ijaz at the house and went home. Ijaz did not return home in the night, and when I went to the Ravi Roadhouse, which is Javad's house, in the morning, I was told that he left shortly afterwards. Sadly, his brother Ijaz never left the house. His remains are part of the only ones found of all of the 100 young boys murdered. On the day he was murdered, Ijaz was dressed up in clean clothes and photographed by Javad. Afterwards, he was drugged with a sedative. They say it might have been a mix of cyanide and another chemical. While the drugs began to take effect, Javad would interview the young boys, getting details about their family life, interests, their age, and he documented this all meticulously. With a video or on a notebook? In a notebook. He would write it all down, and he would write notes on the photos of the young boys. He only started the photos at, I think, halfway through the murder spree, though. I found an example of exactly what he would write. Victim 87 is Muhammad Imran, age 15, son of Talib Hussein, house located next to Animal Hospital. Father makes wooden cots, color whitish to fair, healthy, face beautiful, cheeks full. Killed on November 11, 1999, 7 a.m. So going back to Ijaz, once he was fully sedated and unable to resist, he raped him and he would do this to the other boys as well, and then use an iron chain to strangle him to death. After that, he dismember the bodies and dissolve them in barrels of hydrochloric acid, making sure the hair and bones were completely dissolved before dumping the remains in the Ravi River. That was in early November. In late November, he confessed to a police officer, and that police officer dismissed him in disbelief. He thought this was completely made-up fantasy, didn't believe him at all. Later, Javed sent his journal recordings with all of the information about the murders, as well as some photos he collected of the victims to a newspaper, as well as the authorities. Allegedly, the authorities did not react at all to what he sent in. News reporters did. 
They were the first to arrive at the rundown apartment, and at this apartment, they were placards affixed to the wall, giving details of the murders. One read, I had sexually assaulted 100 children before killing them. Another read, all the details of the murders are contained in the diary and the 32-page notebook that have been placed in the room and have also been sent to the authorities. This is my confessional statement. And another one said, I have killed 100 children, all boys, and placed their bodies in acid-filled drums. The bodies in the house have deliberately not been disposed of so that the authorities will find them after my suicide. To me, when he says this, it sounds like he really badly wants credit for the murders. And he also doesn't want to be seen as someone who would just leave the dead bodies out there. He wants them to know everything is intentional. Him saying he's going to kill himself, I don't know if the intention was ever there to actually kill himself or if this was part of another manipulation. It does sound like he wants full control of the narrative. He doesn't want this to be told any other way but his way. Yeah, I agree. He then says in one of the last placards, I'm going to jump into the river Ravi to commit suicide. Almost a month goes by after he does this and they have not caught him. So he turns himself in. He spent that time, about a month, hiding in a drain and later a cave. He walks into the office of the newspaper he sent the initial information to and says, I am Javed Iqbal, killer of 100 boys. Please tell someone in the reporting section that I have come to surrender. And when he's finally interviewed, he says this, I could have killed 500. This was not a problem. Money was not a problem. But the pledge I had taken was of 100 children, and I never wanted to violate this. Oh my god, he is making it sound like he is a holy man or something. Yes, like he's someone who should be respected for his restraint. The sad thing is, honestly, I do believe him. I think he could have killed 500 children. Right, I know exactly what you mean police clearly wasn't doing a great job. So the only person that could have stopped him was himself. And that's exactly what happened. He goes through several different defenses, which are all extremely bizarre. One defense was that everything was staged, and this was really an elaborate attempt to underscore how easy it was to prey upon young, poor children. Another defense, he claimed they were all still alive and that the police should actually be looking for them right now. And another defense was that these children ran away because they were gay. Of course, he also tried to claim insanity. In the end, there was so much mounting evidence that he himself provided, and it was very clear he was guilty. He was sentenced to death by public strangulation with the same iron chain he used on the children. The judge issued the decree that he be put to death and that his body cut into 100 pieces, one piece per victim. But... Here's another twist. On October 8, 2001, Javed was found hanged dead in his cell before the execution could be carried out. He and one of his accomplices had committed suicide, though later autopsies revealed that the two were badly beaten before they died. And so he's one of the biggest serial killers in Pakistan, pretty much internationally too. How many victims' bodies did they ever find? Just two. But he had the clothing and shoes and items and the photo documents of all of these missing children. And it's kind of recent, too. It's not that long ago. 
It seems like something that's not from our lifetime. Our mutual friend, who we're gonna see later tonight, she told me that when she was really little, she believes that she encountered a kidnapper. I think at that time there was another case that was national sensation, and it was about a missing child. So everybody was on high alert, including the parents, and all the parents were telling the children, you know, don't talk to strangers. And that day, she was just hanging out with her friends, and then this guy came up to them and said that his dog is missing, and he wanted their help because they were told by the adults, weird people talking to you about weird things, just start screaming and start yelling for help, and that's what they did. One of the kids in her group ran inside and was telling the teacher, "This weird man is talking to us." And so the teacher came out, and the teacher started screaming, "Like get away! I'm gonna call the police!" And the man basically ran away. My friend said that she could barely understand what he was asking them to do. That's how young she was. Now thinking back, she realizes this guy was up to no good because you would never ask a child that young to help. Yeah, you wouldn't. When I was four-ish, four or five, my mom took me to CVS and she wanted me to just go get her a Coke, but I couldn't reach the Coke, so I got a Diet Coke. I went in line to go pay for it, and there's this guy in line. Why are you getting Diet Coke? And I told him I, I can't reach the Coke, so I'm getting Diet Coke. Come on, let's go. I'll go help you get the regular Coke. And she's like, "No, I'm fine." It's like, "Well, do you like ice cream?" I was like, "Yes, I do like ice cream." And then he said, "Well, if you like ice cream, why would you have Diet Coke? It cancels each other out." The cashier was like, "You were harassing her." And then my mom finally came in and was like, "Why it was taking you so long?" And then the cashier said, "This man is a creep. He's harassing your daughter and trying to go, you know, make her get ice cream in the back area." Oh man. Oh, and I was like, "I can't talk to strangers." And he's like, "Well, what's your name?" My name's this, and I'm like, oh, my name's Aaliyah, and he's like, then we're not strangers anymore. Oh, this is so weird. It was so creepy, but I didn't really register. I was just like, why is he so pressed over Diet Coke? That's what I thought as a child. But now we know what's that all about. Yeah, my mom has always taught me weird, free things by people you don't know. Question them. Don't be like, ooh, free. It's always questionable. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I got that education. <laughs> Please leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe if you have enjoyed our stories so far. Also, we would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, story requests, or just want to say hi, you can write to us at a devil's tale at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again, and we will see you next time.